Jonathan Wakefield is a brewmaster and founder of Miami's renowned Jay Wakefield Brewing. Now he's opening up his internationally acclaimed tap room at Sirius XM Business Radio for an intimate look at the intersection of craft beer and popular culture. So pull up a chair, have a round on us, and join the conversation on the business of brewing. This is the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield on Sirius XM Business Radio. Hi, I'm Jonathan Wakefield, and this is the Beer Hour on Sirius XM Business Radio 132. Each week, we introduce you to the movers and shakers of the craft beer business and other interesting fields of endeavor. I'm here in the taproom with my co-host, Maria Cabre. Hey there, Maria. Hi, John. Who's our first guest this week? Our first guest co-founded the 8th State Brewing Company along with Jack McDonald in Greenville, South Carolina in 2018. He has built a passionate local following by offering an enhanced taproom experience with great food, draft cocktails, and their award-winning beer. He has also made it his brewery's mission to support Greenville's local music and visual arts communities, which helps to deliver on his goal of inclusion. Along the way, the brewery has garnered national attention for its imaginative beers, including numerous collaborations with the best breweries in the country. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Cameron Owen. How you doing, brother? Doing good. Just uh, getting my dose of caffeine in right now and maybe <laughs> hydrate a little bit. Oh, yeah. Know. I understand that. I understand that. Well, thank you very much for joining us on the show today. So kind of jump right into this and uh, get this rolling. When did you first experience craft beer? And was there a specific beer that sparked your interest kind of like brewing? Like, hey, I let me try this, you know? So this, as odd as this is going to sound, uh, I think the beer that maybe got me into beer was like James Bean from Allagash. Really? Just see a barrel-aged triple with coffee and... I don't know why I really gravitated towards that. I used to be really into a lot of like Belgian beer. And then uh, I circled back around to Belgian beer with like Lambics, but definitely a different perspective. But I think that was probably in like, yeah, probably 2014 or something, maybe 13 uh, when I actually really was starting. Because, I mean, I thought craft beer for the longest time was like shock top and like (laughs) – Okay. Okay. You're not the only one. You're not the only one. <laughs> like, like, oh yeah, we got like you, you know, you got the orange, I think. I don't know. Yeah, I put the orange on the on the, the rim of the glass. Oh yeah. 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 Good stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, so, I think um, a change over and like getting into I think maybe as as bad as it is, like high A B V stuff was like, Oh yeah, it's craft beer because of high A B V. Exactly. And then uh, <laughs> Now, like, what am I thinking? Like, just want like five percent beer all the time, or three percent? How it all changes, right? How it all changes. So, so when did you start homebrewing? Like, when did you start trying your hand at homebrewing along this line? So, um, I think uh, let's see, we moved to Greenville, and I think like twenty sixteen, and initially it kind of started off with trying to make like homemade ciders at home. Okay, and I, it kind of worked like it definitely was an experiment in fermentation and like i would wake up in the middle of the night and like bottles would explode and, <laughs> um, and then uh i ended up starting to work at this place called upstate uh, upstate and they uh they basically were like uh they had a u-brew kind of setup so there was two half barrel systems and uh, i was cooking and bartending and then also kind of doing the brewing stuff and learning that and then eventually started just kind of being the brewer uh, on, or one of the brewers at that. Um, and so since then, I just have kind of been like a little beer nerd and then just kind of, you know, asking people questions and insight and just kind of learn as much as possible. And hopefully it'll get me somewhere. I mean, I feel like I'm still <laughs> learning. So I think we I think we all are. I think we all are. I mean, there's always more to learn, and you know, kind of more to educate yourself on. Always. If you're not learning, uh, like, what are you doing? Right. Well, right. I mean, if you're still not interested in learning, then right. you're kind of like done with it. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. Totally. 
I mean, I think the weirder part is how that's kind of like evolved from, you know, doing the beer side of stuff to just trying to run a business and yes. like, yeah, I'm not necessarily the most like business savvy person. So trying to learn this kind of stuff is like a, a new element for me and just trying to help further our company as small as we are, you know? So tell us a little bit about your previous career. Like when and where did you promote music festivals? Okay. So, uh, in college, I used to basically just want to go to music festivals for free. (laughs) Okay. All right. (laughs) Yeah. So I ended up promoting for like tomorrow world and like counterpoint and uh, a couple other festivals like that, uh, kind of more regional, but you know, it was really cool to go to shows where, you know, like, the, one of the years I promoted for Counterpoint, like Travis Scott was like just like a, a lower name on the like the lineup. Kind of seeing those kind of progressions, and um, you know, it was weird is that I wanted to do that, and then I kind of wanted to initially start a business that was kind of revolving around you know music and arts, and uh, I found that doing beer was probably the closest way to supplement those things, right. uh, just because. Art's so hard in general and that you have to have a really, uh, you have to have people that really want it. And if you're not in front of those people, then it doesn't necessarily sell itself. So I I agree. When would you know how that is? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) I mean, yeah, the art side is definitely a, uh, that's a very finicky business for sure. Especially as an artist and whatnot and even try to sell art. I mean, listen, you know, when I opened this place almost eight years ago, there was 10 art galleries here and now there's zero you know what i mean yeah i mean they got pushed out for rent reasons but whatnot but it's it's hard selling art man went went along the lines between you know the music festivals and then your time at you know the ubrew when did you meet jack mcdonald so actually jack was my boss at the ubrew setup and then um I was in the process of potentially start. I was trying to start the eight state and then uh, we had talked and he had the idea of me, you know, I wanted to necessarily start the company at this lo- the location where the Uber is. And so, although necessarily wasn't like ideal for like a person that wants to like to start up something, it was really awesome to have something where I can start moving on forward on a project before necessarily it was too late because I feel like if we didn't start at the time frame that we did, then, I mean, hitting a pandemic has been a really weird past few years with craft yep. beer. Yep. People getting excited about beer is just not the same as it used to be. No. So we're really lucky to have kind of been on that kind of like burgeoning kind of point. So I'm really thankful for that opportunity to have happened. And, um, you know, even though we're still small, I think we're, we're growing into ourselves and then, you know, then that's, I'd rather grow into ourselves than just become giant and then not know what to do and make like things I don't necessarily believe in. So I, I, <laughs> I would, I would hundred percent agree with that. You know what I mean? Cause there's, you take two paths, either you kind of grow into yourself and enjoy where you're at and really put your effort, time, space, you know, energy into what you have or, you go on this other path of just growing, 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 which is a whole different monster. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. I don't know if you ever really catch back up with yourself when you start down that path. Cause it just kind of uh, gets, it, it's a snowball effect. Oh yeah. I mean, and I mean, we've seen plenty of companies that have done that and I'm not sure that they're necessarily still here as companies. If that makes sense. No, so. absolutely. No, it's not, what it was when it started and it's a far cry from that but it's now much more of a corporate feel i guess you could say yeah it's interesting to just to see how we as like craft breweries have to adapt to the market of just literally constantly adapting and realizing that our customer base isn't necessarily just happy with the same thing over and over and, yep. and in a way that's like a great thing because it keeps me on my feet and also trying to try out new things and, and get better, you know? Yep, absolutely. So can you tell us uh, a little bit for our listeners, like where is eight state located and how did you, I mean, how did you find the space where you're at? They say we're in Greenville. Um, we're about an hour South Asheville and about an hour and a half from Charlotte. Now uh, Greenville is also where Clemson is, right? 
Yeah, so I went to Clemson and then did not finish college. Uh, I was originally in, in engineering and stuff and then uh, went into arts and then just couldn't afford school anymore. So, But, yeah, the, the building that we're actually in is an old uh, bread factory, <laughs> which is strange, and then actually uh, was a site for – so. Jesse Jackson's father used to work here and oh, they, wow. they were it's kind of a work protest as well. Um, so that's kind of cool to have some kind of like historical kind of significance to it. But then right. uh, also, you know, went from this bread place to a pizza dough plant, then back to a bread factory. And then now it's an architecture firm on the top floor. And then we're in the bottom floor with a couple other tenants. And uh, yeah, that, like I said, this used to be housed as the previous U-Brew setup and um, like homebrew shop and kind of people could, you know, get beer. Like there was guest taps and we sort of still have guest taps, you know, like, but we mainly have like guest bottles and stuff like that. Uh, and then, yeah, taking over this space that's like, I think the total of is 2,700 square feet total. So really small tap room that's including like our cooler storage and barrels it's kind of hard to house, you know, 40 to 50 barrels at a time in this kind of yeah. small front, but we make do with it. Yeah, I mean, you jam out in a small space. I mean, it's uh, it's an awesome thing. I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, a lot of people like walk in here and go, you brew how much beer out of here? Like, <laughs> It's like, yeah, it can be done. You know what I mean? It's, it's, oh, it's yeah. you, you work with what you got. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I, it's not like we really like it's not really choosing this. It's like, Hey, we're just kind of doing what we can within what we can do it in. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I would love to have more space, but I think we all would probably want more space. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. So tell me a little bit about the name. I mean, most assume that it comes from South Carolina being the eighth state to join the union, but I read that's not where the name really came from. Yeah. So, uh, the eighth state is, it's based off the Eighth Circuit model, which was originally developed by Timothy Leary, uh, and it's a it's a social consciousness model, and essentially it just examines your most basic emotions to your most complex feelings and kind of existences and planes of existence. And I mean, the ultimate goal of um, the Eighth State is higher consciousness. So, the for us to evolve as people and for us to realize that we're interconnected and that we are we're related whether or not there's people that we like or not. And to realize that there's should be an appreciation to each other. And maybe we can uh, acknowledge that and grow together. So that's really what we're trying to do is, you know, change people's perspectives on beer and like people that aren't into beer, you know, we have a, a bourbon menu, a mezcal menu. We have, you know, other kinds of yep. like spirits, but then we also do like rum based, you know, I do a, in-house rumbling with like agricole and all that kind of stuff. And we do specific cocktails in that kind of regard. We sell, you know, wine uh, as well as, you know, sparkling seltzers as well as like Delta eight seltzers. So like we're trying to really encompass what makes us people. And, be, and this is really like a goal is like to be a lifestyle brand as opposed to a brewery. And, you know, it's cool to be anchored as a brewery, but I really hope that we can, maybe change people's perspectives on what beer is and just maybe what we are as people, you know, are you, are you searching for your inner Zen? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is a good outlet for it. And like, yeah. I'm thankful to have a creative source. Cause it, it's, I mean, it's definitely something that I've become kind of more connected to now that I've gotten dove off the deep end of yoga. So it's definitely, <laughs> you know, but yeah, I mean, hey, you you doing yoga now? Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. Twice a week. Yeah, man. Dude, yeah. I mean, it's like taking those like mindfulness kind of things are really important to like your overall well-being. Yep. Like to stop is kind of hard, especially when we run our own businesses and it's just daunting half the time. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Absolutely. You're listening to the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield and we're speaking to Cameron Owen of the Ace State Brewing. So let's also like dive into like another thing. So like we got the name in Eight State of Consciousness. Your logo has been a source of like some curiosity with some saying that the eyeball is in the numeral signifies that you and, 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 and McDonald are Freemasons. What, what is the origin of the logo? Okay. So um, there was uh, a lady that used to work here. Um, she was also a graphic designer. And we were kind of coming back and forth on like different logos. And 
I think initially I was with the eight state, I was trying to do like sideways and still doing like eights. And then uh, she had pointed out that like, Hey, you know, that's fine, but maybe you all, if I do this, it'll look, it'll get at all the kind of things that you wanted. Uh, now with the kind of like I province stuff, uh, I think we like to teeter around and play with like, um, <laughs> occult kind of stuff. Like, I find, <laughs> yeah. Right. But it's not like, it's not like we're like an occult brand. I just find it really humorous and symbology fun. I mean, as long so as you're I, not making any Kool-Aid, we're cool. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. We did make a Kool-Aid filter with like Calamonzi in it. Hey, I'll send that, up. I'll send that up to you. <laughs> yeah. Or wearing uh Nike Cortez's, right. all of you. In the spaceship. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that, I mean, that's pretty awesome though. But so we got the name, we got the logo. I, what I really want to know is like diving into the beers. What was that beer that kind of set you guys off on this launch? So, um, it's interesting you say, cause I think there's initially when we were doing this, uh, I had been, I really thought we were going to become this kind of like a hybridization of wild. And then like the fruited sours, because a lot of people were gravitating towards that, you know, we were making like hazy IPAs and stuff, but um, so I really thought we were going to be like wild brewery and then this like fruited sour thing and kind of putting our own spin on it. And then, um, barrel, like a barrel beer one time. And then I sent it off to a couple of people and, you know, my friend was like, Hey, like you can try this and, or you can send it to my friends, but there's no like guarantees that they're going to like it. But if they do <laughs> like it, you know, there right. could be some really cool things happening. Like one of the people was like Michelle. <laughs> uh, oh, wow. so like, yeah, and, the, and uh, I mean, I would be lying. I like equilibrium has been very important and in, uh, into in our kind of success. So I'm very grateful for them. And yeah, like from that point on, we had this beer called Monolith, and people liked it. And we went from wild production to like not making wild beer anymore, and specifically making dark beers and. Only up until recently, we just started doing, like, getting back into saisons and barrel-aged wild stuff. It's just, you know, with, again, the parameters of our tap room, like, there's not, it's not worth risking what makes us money. Right, um, absolutely. Absolutely. Do you remember the first beer we had of Cameron's? Because I remember very vividly. Go ahead. It's the caviar beer. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and, and I think, and Michelle, I mean, I think Michelle brought the bottle. It, wait, it was Gold Flakes and, and caviar. caviar. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And it ha- yeah. I was like, holy shit. Like, this is crazy. It was yeah. like salinic. Yeah. Oh, man, it was crazy. <laughs> yeah. That was in the little clear bottles. Yeah, yes. the teeny yeah. tiny ones. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that was a fun. That was a fun beer. And it was pretty straightforward, too. It was just a chocolate vanilla stout, you know. But it had gold flakes and stuff, so yeah. <laughs> are you? Are I mean, now that you brought up the idea or or thought that you're doing saisons again, are you seeing any trends on your end as far as like the beer craft beer side goes? I think that we, as in a sense, as creators, um, we can guide people in the right direction, right. and I think that craft beer. For example, like when you see the reemergence of lager beer, you know, we always make lager beer. We've been doing that since we've opened, but to actually have people that are proponents for our lager beer. And then also seeing that like the person that originally only wanted like pastry stouts and would only, you know, Ray beers like two if it's a lager is now a different person because we've kind of helped them adapt to what beer is and what quality beer I think is. Because if we can take away preconceived notions, and then uh, improve people without, like, annoying them. You know, I, I don't right. know. There's, a, there's a, a proper way to get people to approach things. And, yeah, I think lager beers that way. I think that, you know, when with Saison beer, I think that our goal for Saison is to make, like, lightly tart drinkable beer that's affordable. Right. And I think that's something that American craft beer kind of messed up with just really expensive wild beer that wasn't great. Yeah, like, really super. Yep. So it's just like if we can kind of change that notion, then maybe people will get excited about, you know, Saison beer and wild beer again. Yeah, so. I, I totally agree. I mean, getting away from the idea of having to spend 40, 50 bucks for a bottle of, uh, you know, wild beer to something, you know, more more approachable money wise, but also probably a little bit more approachable palate wise with it not being this 
crushing acid bomb. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you like it. I mean, do you remember the days when you're like drinking a bottle and you're like enamels ripping and your stomach hurts oh, after yeah. it? Yes, I, I do remember those days. <laughs> like the smart thing was a the smart thing was is like, hey, let's all have like a sour beer bottle share, and it was like nothing but fifty bottles of lambic and wild beer. And I remember waking up the next day was like the worst hangover, but it, it felt like someone had like beat me with a bat downing a bottle of because tums. your stomach is so destroyed like your body's just destroyed from so much acid it was crazy i mean i that's why i don't really drink a lot of those anymore you know what i mean but it's like yeah i mean it, it would be more enjoyable if it was more palatable to me i mean that's at least from my perspective yeah i mean and that's a really funny point you say that is that i almost pretty much avoid like fruited wild beer because the acidity, the pH on it just goes so low that oh. like most people aren't blending back and they're not, no. they're not putting the proper attention to it to make right. it a good beer. Right. And so uh, like, I just kind of avoid it entirely and be like, Hey, you know, I know that like, if I get Armin and Gaston, that'll be great. Like, right. you know, the day. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I'm going to jump into another part of the business. So food and draft cocktails have always been an equal part of the mix for you. Last fall, you hired, you know, Charleston chef Jonathan Beard to take over the kitchen. Most breweries up until like now have have shied away from offering food. Like, why have you remained committed to offering like a top notch food experience? I mean, I think it's just food components in general is another furthering of our like who we are as people again, like. When we're when we go out after festivals, like after Wake Fest, we're not going to get beer. We're going to get cocktails. Yep. So we're going to get food. Like yep. that, if you can again further these kind of like full circle moments for people and maybe get them to understand what gets us excited, then we can kind of build out a better picture. And then again, maybe get their perspective to change and in a sense evolve their kind of palate. So. Uh, food's been a really like important part, you know, I think as long as it's present and there's like standards to it, then it, it, people will notice it just takes time. And I think that's the hardest part about a lot of this is just time. No, I agree. Absolutely. So incorporating live music and the visual arts was part of the plan when you opened. How has that part gone so far? Have you tapped into your skills as like a promoter? So we used to do music uh, every Friday and Saturday uh, pre-pandemic. And then since we've opened back up, uh, we'll still do music occasionally for like releases and birthdays. More recently, we've been working with the building and they've been allowing us to use this upper patio. That's kind of more of like an intimate space. We've been doing kind of uh, having DJs up there and kind of uh, curating a little bit of a more private kind of experience. Uh, this past week, we had some people from up from Peru. It's yeah, it's really cool to like have re. It's again kind of just like rebuilding itself. Uh, you know, the things that we used to do fluently is kind of just getting people to kind of jump back in with it. So nice. it's a tedious process, but I think that we have time. So. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, we all have all the time we need on our hands. Well. Uh, Thank you very much for joining us, brother. Thanks, yeah. Cam. Hey, appreciate it, brother. Thank you very much for joining us today. We'll see you soon. Bye. You're listening to The Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield. Conversations on the business of brewing and popular culture. Our next guest spent a quarter of a century working as a pastry chef for some of the world's best chefs before leaving the restaurant hotel world to bake cookies in her garage. When she and life business partner Eric Page had built a solid wholesale business, she crowdfunded the opening of a cookie shop called Cindy Lou's Cookies in the Little River neighborhood of Miami. She endured several challenges that threatened to derail her business before it got rolling, but with determination and an uncanny ability to respond to whatever the situation calls for, Cindy Lou's Cookie survived and flourished. In 2021, she and Eric signed a deal with SBE's C3 division to open in 30 cities, including NYC, LA, London, and Dubai. The new partnership promises to make Cindy Lou's cookies the next big thing in the world of premium cookies. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Cindy Cruz. Thank you very much for joining us. It, uh, we are actually very happy to finally have you here. I know it's been uh, a while coming, and uh, actually, 
get you to come into the tap room and uh, bring your cookies. So thank you very much for coming today. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> thank you for having me. Excellent. Excellent. Um, so, I mean, obviously, I think we talked a little bit. I also want to mention, obviously, that Maria was a pastry chef before becoming a brewer, as she is now. Uh, and she also worked at the Fountain Blue Hotel like you. I mean, obviously, at different times and ages. But let's uh, I'm going to kind of rewind the clock here and and ask you, at what age did you realize that you had a passion and a talent for baking? And who taught you how to bake? I'm Latin, so it's in okay. my blood to right. love sweets. So <laughs> I would say that all my life I've been attracted to sweet, more sweets than right. savory. To be honest with you, my mom always baked for, we had a big family. She always baked for Thanksgiving, Christmas, birthdays. But I didn't realize I wanted to work in a kitchen until I graduated from Boston University. And my dad said it was time to get a job. Oh, get a job. <laughs> and uh, and I decided to go to the Culinary Institute of America in upstate New York. Oh, CIA? Yep, the nice. CIA. Um, just because I had a, a restaurant degree. And why not? Uh, I, it was something that was exciting at the time. And I ended up over there. And when I left there, I just wanted to bake. Uh, really? I, I did go through the regular program. So you went through the regular cooking and, and all that? Yes. Wow. I wasn't into making stocks and searing bones and mm-hmm. cleaning fish. Right. So I stuck to the baking program. And when I graduated in 1992, I ended up in Las Vegas working for Wolfgang Puck. Oh, okay. I opened Spago in, in Vegas. So was that your first professional job? That was my first professional job for Wolfgang Puck in Vegas. Wow. So you were a pastry chef at... At Spago? I was I was a pastry cook. It was my okay. first entry level job. Okay. Um, it's where I learned a lot of the basics. Like if you want lemon juice, you first zest the box of lemons and then you juice them. Yes. And uh, and it, it was it, it just grew from there. I never looked back. So I mean, over the years, you you have actually built quite a resume. You know, working with some of the biggest names in the industry, Wolfgang, like you just mentioned, Emerald Lagasse, Charlie Trotter. Charlie Palmer, Jean Georges. What did you learn from working in the kitchens of some of the most revered chefs of our time? It's it's not what you do; it's part of who you are when right. you work in kitchens at that level. And it's it's it, you're not in it for the glamour. You're not in it to say you're a chef. You're in it because you really love it and you want to. It's just you just want to make a difference in the food world. Like I. I don't know how to explain it. It's just I don't want to be famous on Instagram or, right, or be famous. Right. It's period. a different time. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's yeah. a different and uh, it's it's part of who you are. It's not it's not a job. It's kind of like part of who you are. Can I say more like a passion? Yes, for right. sure. I mean, because you were a pastry chef and Maria enjoyed that, but you know, and I was an accountant for fifteen years. A CPA. And my passion definitely was not in that. I found my passion between cooking and then homebrewing and then really dialing in the homebrew and turning that passion into a career. Yes. But it's it's not, you know, you're not in it for the glory or the fame or anything. You just love doing this because it's part of your makeup. I I like to say it's a labor of love. Right. Always. And uh, it, it has to come from within. It's something that's not taught. You, right. It just comes with you. But but I think that's also kind of shows up in the product. Yes. You know, like because people that just do it for a job, I think you can taste that in the product versus someone that has their heart and soul and passion put into that product. Is, to me, I think you can always taste the difference. When people say, not to toot our own horn, but I, I eat cookies every day because I taste everything. <laughs> right, right, of course. And uh, it's part of my lunch every day. And when people say, how is it so good? And I hate to sound so cliche, but it's because I love what I do. Right. And they, and they, I can really taste the love in this cookie. I right. can taste the love in this cake. And and I, I know what you mean because yeah. we just love it. And, and when people just, like you said, do it as a job. You don't, you don't feel it. You don't taste it. Right. There's not that passion. Yes. So was there always like a little thought in the back of your mind that one day you would do your own thing? After working in the business for 20 years and, and, and working, working for other people, for other people, correct. Right. Yes. For other people. It's not that 
I'm, I'm, do- I'm dogging working for other people. That That's how I got all my experience right, right, and course. made me who I am. I felt like it's time to do your own thing. Um, uh, kind of like the time in my life dictated that it was time to like, I could do nice desserts. I could do class, I wedding cakes, but I wanted to bake cookies. And it came a time where I just wanted to do what made me happy. At, at a certain age, you just have to say, okay, I quit my job. At, at, uh, at this point, I was working, I think, at Gigi. I had taken a, a temporary job at Gigi in Midtown, in, okay. uh, in okay. the design district, Midtown. And um, I just said, I just want to bake cookies. I quit my job, went into my garage. Started baking cookies for Panther Coffee. Right. I mean, so yeah, I mean, that day came obviously in 2012 when you started baking cookies full time in your garage in Coconut Grove. Why Why was that the right time for you to leave like a steady paycheck and a success, you know, like successful career and take the plunge into your own business, you think? I don't, it's just, I get, just got tired of, of the BS. Yeah. The BS of someone telling me, what time did you come in? What time are you leaving? <laughs> like, I just couldn't deal with that anymore. I was, no, too, no. I was too old for that crap, yeah. if you want to say that. And I just got tired of working for other people. I, I, I knew it was it's just something that I knew it was time for me to do. And it was 10 years delayed. I wanted to do it for a while at that point. And, you know, for whatever reason, it's it's scary to, to take the plunge. Oh, I'm, I know. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know... It, it's so scary, and people say, "How did you have the? How did you have the courage to do it?" Oh my God, I didn't. It took me ten years to finally decide right. that okay, I don't want to do this. This isn't working for me, so I'm going to do. I just have to do it. It yeah. was either do it or do it. Right. I mean, I felt that. I mean, for fifteen years, I was unhappy, yeah. and then finally, it's like okay, either you bite the bullet or you just keep doing what you're doing and be unhappy for the rest of your life. So, which was, like, was not an option. No, at that point right? Anymore. No, exactly. I understand yeah. that absolutely. So because of your great reputation and the quality of your cookies, which is very true, you, you landed some nice wholesale accounts early on. Do you remember who the first one was and what did it feel like to have your very first account? Panther Coffee. Panther. I mean, that's where I remember them from. Yes. Yes. They, Leticia and Joel are, I just, I'm so grateful to them. They were the ones who said, I want these cookies in our shop. And I was baking them out of my little kitchen and and it started in uh on one, when i lived in a building she just said i just want these cookies and i baked maybe a dozen two dozen cookies for her every three days and uh because it was out of my little oven in a, in, a, in a building and she said um these went in five minutes i need you to make me more <laughs> and that's how it started really and from there i moved into the garage in coconut grove and she was my only account wow and in six months i believe i had about four, five or six months, I had like eight wholesale accounts, uh, just word of mouth. Like, where did you get those cookies? And that's how it grew. We've never done any marketing, any promotion. It's wow. Been Panther Coffee, word and word of mouth. So, I mean, it, I mean, you think within like six months, you grew to about eight accounts already? That's, yes. That's and, amazing. And it was small accounts, but it was still stuff that I was the delivery girl, the baker. The you, were, you were doing it all. Everything from the garage. That's crazy. no AC. Like you know, Zach the baker. Uh, of course, yeah. He was down the street from me, like wow, with his goats <laughs> doing his thing. <laughs> like around the same time, we were. I, I had no AC in the garage, no running water. I was with the hose, clogging up the drains with the butter. It, it was. I don't know if I could do it again now. If you, right. If you look back at it, it, it was really, so hard. But, yeah. But at that time, I was happy doing my own thing, right. and I was so proud. Um. But those were the days, like, that's what you had to do to kind of, like, start your own thing, I guess. Yeah, I think it was different back then. I yeah. think so, yes. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. I mean, it, it was, I mean, the, the grind we had when, when we opened, there was only three of us in here. And I'm, Maria was in the back cleaning kegs and helping out and doing this and that. I mean, it was a grind. I mean, a lot, I think a lot harder back then than now. I mean... I think it'd be harder for us now because we're older. <laughs> Me. Well, I mean, if I look back at it, if I look back, I mean, like, would I be able to do it all over again? I I don't know. I don't I, know. I agree with you. I don't know if I could do it. I, w- I just remember during our ba- Basel when I used to bring them like 20 dozen cookies for uh, right, a they, night. They just go. I got back to my house in Coconut Grove and they're calling me, telling me 
we need more. We're open till three or four in the morning. We need more. We're, we're oh sold gosh. out of every. And I, I literally said, I'm sorry, I can't. I was like beat. Right. I, I cried. But what a good problem to have. Of course. Of course. I don't it, think I could do it again. <laughs> and then getting in the traffic and, and then you get back and you have to. It, right, you have to unload to, and redo everything. And yeah, going and start to Jetro. Oh my gosh, I was I was a I was an army of one. Jetro and, is a nightmare enough. Oh my god, yes, <laughs> never. Now I get Cisco. Oh boy, well see that that's that's a lot better. So exactly. So fast forward five years, you have opened your own brick and mortar yeah. location in Little River. Definitely not a touristy part of Miami, but it's working that way. I mean, obviously, it's a come up a lot from what it was. Yes. How did you finance the opening of that of this original location? I mean, I, I read you know, like I read that you use Kickstarter, like like we did for a portion of the startup costs. Absolutely, it's funny. Uh, well, no, it's not funny. But when we opened in Little River on Seventy Third Street, we ended up. We I wanted to come in Winwood, but I couldn't oh, afford Winwood. I mean, right? No one can afford Winwood anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, and and I'm so glad I ended up over there because. Uh, when we were looking, okay, we were only going to be wholesale. We were right. only wholesale. Panther, Pier Vida, right, right. Vice City. All these so, so you just want to do wholesale. You didn't even want to sell at the door? Absolutely not. We, I just wanted to bake my cookies, ship them out, and, and go home. Really? It was only going to be wholesale. That's the dream, though. Well, right. You, you uh, No, because you talked about doing like a breakfast spot or having actually people I come know, in but, and stuff. But, but it's better to not have to deal with, with people. Well, I understand that. I understand. Yes, I understand As that. Rocco's passion is eating cookies <laughs> while we record this show. Yes. So we ended up on 73rd Street. Just where I needed windows. I didn't want to be in like a, a, a box. A box. Right. I, could, I couldn't. I need to be motivated and inspired. Some sunlight coming by through. Sunlight. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so we ended up over there and it was only wholesale. It's, it's a, a hole in the wall, but it's come up, as you said, right. a, a lot. But we ended up over there and people kept on coming. Com- well, first of all, we were so delayed. We had to do a Kickstarter. We had savings. And right, right. it wasn't supposed to be too much money to like take over the little thousand square foot spot. Delays. Uh, the, the city's city. always a pain. Yes. I mean, we were in the hole like, oh, my God, how are we going to open this place? So we did a Kickstarter on the advice of Zach, who right. I'm good friends yes. with. He did a Kickstarter. Well, yeah, do a Kickstarter. It's not easy. But if you get what, what you're asking for, it'll be great. That's how we ended up doing a Kickstarter. We ran out of money. And um, so we ended up over there, only wholesale. People came. Oh, here you are. This is your... Li- uh, and they were walking through the kitchen, which was open. That's such a liability. So, <laughs> But two weeks after we moved into our shop, after all the delays, they tore up the street. They were oh. doing like the whole plumbing up up in Northeast 2nd Avenue oh from 65th to 75th. Wow. They tore up for a year and a half. Oh. Not even Uber would come through. Jeez. So what happened? Thank God we were only wholesale. Right. P- stuff was only going out. So it didn't really affect us. Oh, my God, you're going to go under. Don't tell right. me that. I just opened. Right. So it's funny how things work because... Um, at that point, we're only wholesale, but people still kept on coming in, finding us. And That's amazing. So then after the street was done, and uh, then the Zika hit, and a few things happened. The, the, the Irma or Maria right. hit. We were closed for 10 days. We are like, oh, my God. It was right when we first started. All this stuff happened, but we, still, we were still standing. It was all wholesale. Then, of course, COVID hit, oh, right. which is like a nightmare for everybody. All our wholesale accounts went to zero. Oof. Zero. We we were just like, what are we going to do? Our landlord was willing to work with us, uh, but we said we're we're pretty alienated over there in Little River. So we said we're not going to sit home and and not do anything. We went in. We started baking some stuff, and we started delivering to all wow. the healthcare workers. And we can't do what they can what they're doing, but we can do what we can to help them in whatever way we could. And that made such a difference, and we made so many people, including our part, our our SBE partners. They oh. found us through all the like, what are these pink boxes all over town? What is this? And we were just doing that so we wouldn't go right. crazy. And it came back to us like I can't even tell you. Um, so then, after COVID, 
we survived COVID because yeah. people kept on calling. We would put the little baggies outside. No That's one amazing. came. So after COVID, we were no no longer wholesale. We're That's only amazing. retail, and now our little venture that's nice taking nice. off. You're listening to the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield, and we're speaking to Cindy Cruz of Cindy Lou's Cookies. So you had you know six months of construction delays. The city dug up your street. You know you had Zika roll through you, and then COVID hits, and this is all like less than three years after you opened. And then last year, as you're trying to build some momentum coming out of COVID and everything it, with your wholesale and retail business, a guy who you refer to as Hurricane Sam yes. walks into your life and makes you a proverb, you know, proverbial offer you can't refuse. Who is Sam Nazarian and what was his offer? Sam is, I like to say it to refer to him as Hurricane Sam because he just comes into your life <laughs> and just changes everything, of course, for the better. Right. And he's, uh, he, um, is the owner of Sammy Boy Enterprises, which is SBE. Okay. They they used to own the Faena and the Mondrian, all oh, the Mondrians, okay. the Delano. I think he sold all his hotel uh, portions of his business, and now he's doing. Uh, he's got he's a real estate developer all okay. over the world, okay. and um, he's focusing now on on. Uh, he has all this real estate, and he's pu- he's putting like uh, food halls and okay. and concepts in in his spots and he approached us saying he would like to partner with us because he loved our product and we were a brand that he could stand behind and we weren't really looking to partner with anybody but we did want to grow which is so hard to do on your own so he did make us an offer we couldn't refuse he just wanted to partner with us in whatever capacity we did and and he would just Put us everywhere. Wow! As long as you know the the the, the concept didn't change, the quality didn't change, right? And we've been it's been a little bit over a year, and it's been a beautiful relationship. I mean, they've been amazing. That's with amazing. Us. So, thirty shops in cities across America and the world, including Dubai and London. I mean, it seems like it could be a little overwhelming. I mean, even you know, from a small you know artisan cookie maker, how are you dealing with the pressure of becoming a global cookie brand virtually overnight i don't really know yet like i'm still trying i'm still trying to i'm still trying to adapt um, adapt and i'm still trying to process everything that's happening because i never thought this would happen to us we like i said we're do it because we love it right and people took note which was great um uh we're taking it one 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 location at a time because it's been it's been hard and Everything's been pushed back and everything's been a little delayed and things are going a lot slower than they anticipated just because of the shortages, the labor, the food, everything's so expensive now. They've, they've kind of reeled it in a little bit, right. but it's still on track. Um, but we're just taking, they've been, ex- they're the ones who are going to be the managing partners of the Cindy Lou's Cookies and they have been amazing with us. So. We show up, we train, we bake, we go back and spot check, but they take care of everything else. And um, we're just taking it like one shop at a time. That's awesome. So I'm actually going to read you a quote. Okay. So, Levane, Chip City, Insomnia. Any other cookie purveyor might have cause for concern. These cookies are absolutely delicious and may be better than all the aforementioned. So this is uh, Liana T. out of New York City. Five-star Yelp review. So, obviously, you guys are having impact already, which is amazing. In New York City. Exactly. That's a big stomping ground for a lot of competitors. Yes. So, that, that is an awesome, awesome thing to, uh, to read and see, for sure. New York City is like, if you, like say, if you can make it there, you can oh, make it anywhere. Make it anywhere. Yep. Uh, we, we actually got voted in the first six months we were open. We, our peanut butter and jelly got oh. voted one of the top 10 cookies in New York City. That's we, one of my favorites. We so, couldn't even yes. believe it. We're like, okay. <laughs> the only thing I want to say about that is, I mean, everybody, there's a place for everybody. Of course. Our cookies, they're not that they're better or worse. They're just different. They, right. they The ingredients, the, the the quality. The quality, yeah. the years of experience. I, I call it not just a cookie, but an experience. That's on my card. Right. Not just a cookie, but an experience. Only because it's not just that the, the not just that all these years of experience went into it, but you bite into that cookie and you're back to when you were 10 years old. 
I agree. And I, d- I had never felt that about any other cookies, and I try every cookie. So not better, just different. We're right. different. We're I mean, I've tried a lot, too, and I still think I, yours are probably my favorite that I've had. You know, between it's also, like, it's <coughs> also, you know, Night Owl and all these other it, ones. It's also a consistent, uh, like, how, how consistent the product well, is. I mean, coming, Because every time I eat one of your cookies, it is the same since the time before I had it. But I think coming from a baking standpoint and also a little bit of cooking knowledge that I have, I mean, the other brands are par-baked? Underbaked. Underbaked. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I don't, I, it doesn't sit well with me. No. So if I were to buy a cookie out in the market, I'm going to buy Cindy's cookies. Right. Right. And that doesn't mean that there isn't a place for everybody of else. Course. Of course. You know, um, it's just, it's different. It's, it's different. It's different. Yes. So, I mean, what were, you know, what were the challenges of getting your New York City shop in Manhattan West Complex up and running? Staffing. Of, which I think, yes, is a massive thing. Staffing and, and, and finding the right people, staffing again, uh, to not to just bake a cookie because that's not what it's about. It's right. about putting me into the, like putting my energy. Representing you. Representing Cindy Lou's cookies. Um, Oh, it's just a cookie. No, it's, it's much more than that. Nope. You cannot. It's about, it's about, it's just, you have to, you have to look at that cookie and say, this cookie is going to make someone happier. This, I, I want, I want to eat this cookie. Right. It's not just like, oh, they're kind of a little bit overdone. Uh, what's what I got. Just let's send it out. No, you can't work for me. If you have 24 cookies that are overdone, you give them away or even toss them and we bake them again. And and that's why they're always the same. You need to, you need to buy into the vision. Right. Yes. Cindy Lou's, this is what you got it. This is how you have to execute it because this is the level that we're at. Yes. When you charge, you know, our cookies aren't cheap. Just the the size, they're six ounces, the we use Nielsen Massey vanilla. We use a Varona Calibo. All that aside, I, I would give it away for free if I had to. You know right. what I mean? I yes. mean that in, in like a hypothetical way. Um, you, it has to, it just has to make, it has to make people happy. It has to, uh, it has to, it has to be something that I want to eat. And I eat them every day. I, I try a different cookie every day, not a whole cookie, but, and it just it brings people back. So, in this industry, we have customers who question why a 16-ounce draft beer costs $10. And for us, it's the ingredients that we use because we're not using cheap ingredients. We don't, you know, we use good quality grain, yeast, fruit. Everything that goes into it is is good quality. Plus the freight. Plus and the, the freight gas. and the cost of cans and yep. bottles and everything that's gone up. Yep. Your cookies are about 4 to $5 each, but, I mean, they weigh, you know, 7 ounces. It's a, it's a big cookie. I mean, do you encounter... The same kind of reaction about the price as we do in the craft beer industry? You know, surprisingly, people, maybe two people that I can remember have said, wow, $5 for that cookie. Maybe two people because people see the size of it. Right. I mean, I went to, I was at the mall the other day and not that I'm comparing ourselves to Mrs. Fields, but I used to love Mrs. Fields when I was a little girl. Right. Yes. Yes. And they're like the size of a quarter and yep. they literally are like three fifty. Yeah. And so I don't want to hear anybody right saying about, that yeah. your seven ounce cookie <laughs> at five dollars, you're robbing me. How from for how many, you know? Right, like, yes, exactly. So, I mean, and I also think that our clientele is a little bit more elevated and edu- if they're walking into our shop, right. they know they know they're going to get know. quality and of they course. don't they don't really dispute that. OK, that's awesome. I mean, it's it's about I, I think sweets and, and cakes like that are might be on a different plane because Beer, I mean, because when people think beer, they immediately run to the macro brands like water. And, and you know, you can still buy a case for nine ninety nine for 24 cans or bottles. You know what I mean? So it's a cheap in product, but it's cheap ingredients yes. that they're using. So when and you come to it. it's all produced. Right, in, in a massive in a, quantity. Yeah. And the quality is whatever. But, like, when you come to an artisan side of things, it's not that way. We're, you know, a mom and pop that are still operating a certain way and still trying to use the best ingredients we can. But, I, you know, you can see that, you know, you should still be able to stand behind the price of your ingredient because of the labor and the ingredients and everything that you're putting in. Well, and the quality that, that exactly. you're putting out. 
Yeah. I also think now more than ever after COVID, I think people are more aware of that. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that people are more are more appreciative of yes. a good quality, not just like crappy stuff. Right. Just yeah. Run of the mill. Yeah. So which cities are next for opening on your uh, path of uh, global domination here? LA. LA. Nice. Okay. Going to be in Beverly Hills. That's a big one. At the SBE headquarters. That's a uh, big one. Uh, that's huge. That should have happened already, but like right. I said, Calif- California is a little bit behind. So, <laughs> yes. yes. And uh, right after LA is Chicago, downtown Chicago. Ooh. Okay. And right. Uh, You're so, hitting the big metropolitans. Well, they're putting us in every okay. and all the and they have great spots for us, like nice. the food halls, and some of them are going to be attached to Alameda coffee shops. But um, I know L.A., Chicago are coming. Then Seattle, Atlanta, and Austin are right after, and not in that order, but they're probably head into next year. And when are you heading across the pond to? Uh, to- London, they said September. Ooh, September. Okay. Uh, Dubai is going to be next year, if not twenty twenty four. Right. But London should have been September. I'm not sure if we're still on track. Where in London? I'm going to get back to you on that. You have to let I, me know. I, I mean, I love London. I've never been there. No, never oh. been there. So we're. I'll, I'll so, give you some recommendations. They just told us make sure you have your passport. So we're oh, working course. on that. That is amazing. I will get back to you on that. Uh, that is. I amazing. thought you were going to ask about Puerto Rico. Oh, I mean, well, I mean, I, right? She she is from Puerto Rico. Uh, yes, I need to talk to Sam about that. Yes, I would love to go to Puerto Rico or like a mantecadito inspired Cindy Lou cookie. Yeah, oh. I have to send you. We just did a maple pecan. Mantecadito kind of situation. Nice. It's so delicious. <laughs> my mom, my mom still brings when she goes to Puerto Rico the little mantecadito. She'll bring me a bag or whatever. She's like, here, the best, the best, the best, the best. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, now I'm going to need a bag of these things. I'm going to send you some of those <laughs> okay. little things okay. that I need. Uh, absolutely. So, last question: Is it true that you eat your cookies every day for lunch? You can ask anybody. Okay. Anybody. Okay. Whenever it comes back to get me, we'll ask him what I have for lunch. I do. That's amazing. I do. I don't eat the whole thing, of right. course. But you're, you're sampling, right? I, I'm sampling all the time. And that's why they say, how, how are they so good? Well, I eat them for lunch every day. They better be good. Is this, I mean, is this like a Puerto Rican thing, like the, like the sweets? I mean... The sugar. We like, hello. Uh, ¿Cómo oh, se llama eat, you, el, el pan que? La got, Mallorca. La Mallorca. We take savory bread. We put butter in it. And we put it in una plancha. Uh-huh. So we toast it on like the flat iron. And then, and then we sugar. dust it with powdered sugar. sugar. It's the most delicious thing you've ever had in your life. <laughs> okay. It, it is. She speaks the truth. Uh, I second it. it yes. con, con café con leche. Con café. Oh, and my gosh. Con azúcar. Like uh, sweet café con leche. Oh, so good. No? So, yes, I do eat cookies every day. You can, we'll ask her when it comes in. That's amazing. And uh, they, we, we order lunch for our staff every Friday and they know that I don't order lunch. I, I have my lunch already. That's amazing. I make my own lunch. That is awesome. Well, thank you very much for thank joining you, us Cindy. today. This has been awesome. It's been a pleasure. And it's uh, our pleasure to have you on. I thank am you. so excited we did this. Thank you for having me. That's it for this week. I'd like to thank our guests, Cameron Owen and Cindy Cruz, our co host, Maria Cabre, our producer, Rocco Riggio, and our editor, Brian O'Connell. Thank you for listening. You can catch us each Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Business Radio 132 or anytime on the SiriusXM app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate the show and leave a review. Remember, people, the thirst is real.